No, that's the cat. That's the pussy cat. The mouse is. Oh! This is Pull Request, live from the heart of Brooklyn. Pull Request is an hour long podcast about everything in and relating to technology with three techno experts Eric Newman. Hi! Chris Grabowski. Hello. And Tyler Dinner. Hey there! This week's episode Smirch. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another Pull Request. My name is Eric Newman. And to the left of me is nobody, because unlike last episode, we're all alone again. But it's a new year, it's a new day, and I will stretch this microphone across ten blocks to you, Chris Grabowski. Hi! How's it going? Pretty good. You got a uh, 1988 modem going on in there or something? Oh, that's, yeah. That's that's me. I figured out that if I, I can modulate uh, bits with my voice, if I yell into a phone, I can actually get it to authenticate. All right, Captain Crunch. Exactly. Uh, oh, actually... <laughs> Oh, I, I, I recently found out. Just he, call uh, me Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I I, I wouldn't uh, want to call anybody that. I recently found out he is. Uh, is he dead? He's on uh, Aaron's list, if you will. He's on what? Aaron's list. Aaron's list? Yeah. What's that? Uh, it's like a registry of nonviolent sex offenders. Ooh. Yeah. 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 That's tough. Well, it's a new year, 2018, and it's already the hottest year on record, even though we've been below freezing for the last two weeks. It's good. Well, New York has. New York has, uh-huh. the Northeast has. My friends in Denver, it's still 50 degrees there. That's beautiful, Denver, wow. Well, I know, but the thing is, is isn't it supposed to be cold for everybody? Well, no. Uh, my, my brother just flew back to Arizona today, and he's like in 67 degree weather. What, what temperature is it supposed to be? Like 67. Oh. Okay, whatever. Global warming something. Uh, did you guys have a good New Year's? I asked, like, we didn't spend it all together? Yeah, I was going to say, like, we, we basically all three of us spent the day together. Well, we did the show on New Year's Eve, and yeah. then we, uh, and then I put it on iTunes, and you guys went to the party. Excuse me? And then you came to the party. Then I came to the party, and then my you girlfriend came about... to the party, and then we had a party. Yeah. Yeah. It was Woo! a good time. You know who, uh, you know who didn't come to the party, though? Oh, I know. Do you? Oh, I think I do. Who, who do you think it, it is? <sighs> Mugatu. Not quite, but that sound you heard was the people that we left out, our studio audience. We keep well, them in a Tupperware container during the week, and we take them out on Sundays just for us. And it is a beautiful, crisp, cold, quiet Sunday night. Mugatu was busy inventing the piano key ne- necktie. So uh, no, no, he was inventing the guitar necktie. Piano key is so nineties. But he calls <laughs> it the piano key necktie. That was for the movie that came out almost twenty years ago. What has he been doing since? He's working on the guitar necktie. He invented the piano key necktie, Eric. What do you have? Nothing. I have a cryptocurrency that so that's well. losing money. <laughs> Uh, we'll talk about that later. Um, Spotify. Spotify had an IPO this week. And a $1.6 billion lawsuit. No, they announced an IPO. They announced they, an IPO. They filed for IPO. Filed. When is it? Uh, Good I question. Should have looked that up before doing the show. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this brings us to a ni- our next topic, which is uh, this year we're going to try to do – we're going to uh, change the tone – of the show a little bit. We've done a lot of good work over 2016 and 2017, but because uh, 
there exists a natural give and take between uh, on radio shows or on talk shows or on podcasts between Indeed. entertainment and academics. And there, it's a natural give and take. A lot of the most entertaining stuff isn't really that smart. Sometimes it is. But the more entertaining, typically, the less smart, the less academic it is because you don't have time for all those nerdy details when you're trying to entertain people. Uh, hey, this, hey, my YouTube videos on UFOs and Bigfoots are very academic. There you go. Uh, but... Uh, there are people who are involved in technology that don't think that we're serious enough um, to, or, or that we're academic enough to be taken seriously. And so my goal personally for 2018, and uh, we could say our goal for the podcast, is really to step up our clout in the tech scene. Rather, uh, become a source that, of information that people can trust rather than just doing a podcast for our friends. All right. Wonderful. And then one other thing is I have to get a stage manager because I can't wrangle the audience on my own. (laughs) We're going to change the tone from up here to down here. Exactly. Well, we had that. We did change the tone last week with our with our after dark episode. But we changed it from sober to not. Yeah, exactly. Now we need to change the tone from alcoholics to library visitors no we're occasional alcoholics for purpose for the show and that's only after dark episodes that's true that's true we don't drink unless we're doing an after dark episode yeah we're like the cast of drunk history i don't (laughs) like drunk history anyway uh so spotify announced an ipo this week and uh what's gonna happen they'll ipo and their stock will take a nosedive the first week and come back up and be valued at a fair bit even and then the people that had pre-IPO access... Oh, sorry. Where are you going? Even with this $1.6 billion lawsuit, I'm sure their stock will go up after like a week. Well, what's the, well before we get to the lawsuit, uh, it's interesting because I, here's, here's a list of how this Spotify stock IPO will be different from most other internet IPOs. Uh, one, shares will filter into the market only as insiders want to sell. I didn't know you could do that. Unlike the traditional route where investment banks line up buyers for huge blocks of newly issued stock, the, a predetermined number of shares will be public on the day of the IPO in a direct listing. Uh, where, uh, uh, the day, uh, in a direct listing, there are no guarantees. In this case, going public simply means that the stock can be traded on the exchange, not that it will. Shares will be traded publicly only as insiders sell them. Insiders, of course, are the people that have the stock now. So there won't be, or people that uh, got um, early access. I remember this was a thing with Facebook, where there were like some special people that were able, who weren't employees of Facebook, but managed to get early access to pre-IPO Facebook stock. You remember this, Christian? Uh, I don't actually. They, Did Tom uh, from MySpace get that? No. <laughs> Tom reserved some shares from himself. But anyway. Um, no, so uh, the idea is that shares will be tra- with Spotify. Shares will be traded publicly only as insiders sell them. Maybe a few shares are sold, or maybe many are. There won't be much of a market unless insiders sell a lot of stock, and they're not going to sell a lot of stock unless it's valuable. I didn't know you could do this. This is well, interesting. They figured it out in a direct listing. Does that, does, Go on. Does that sound like kind of a I don't know, like a European approach coming no. from the mo- most successful European startup ever? 
That's yeah, and it's like I, maybe they, some stocks will get to the market. <laughs> maybe they won't. Maybe when the stock gets to the market, uh, they will be ready, but maybe not. Maybe <laughs> the stock will go on strike. Buy some heavy you know, cream, so. four to five cigarettes, and two to <laughs> three sauces. And then we take a break, and then the three months off for our holiday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, in, a, in a direct listing, prices can be volatile. Interesting. So in a traditional IPO, underwriters actually support the stock price. But in a direct listing, this support does not exist. The stock may debut one day when the market is weak, setting a low price. Or it may debut when the market is strong, setting an exorbitantly high one. Or perhaps buyers and sellers that are not able to find a price at which they're willing to trade, and the stock doesn't trade at all. This is very interesting because I don't think many stocks, especially tech stocks, have done this. Yeah. We haven't heard of it, some, a company doing uh, quite like this before. This is intriguing. Huh. The, yeah. uh, the op- yes, and the optics Keeping don't. The ace up their sleeve. Well, uh, Spotify's losses are worsening, and this is not good optics for an IPO. Uh, while the company's revenue grew to $52 billion, uh, or sorry, 52% to $3.3 billion, losses mounted even faster. The company lost more than twice as much money as in the year before. It lost $600 million last year. Well, hey, you, you know how it is. Like, as long as you don't actually make money, you're worth way more money than when you make money. Yeah. Yes. Russ Hanneman's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's the, uh, yeah. That's the draw something, uh, Pandora and Spotify uh, valuation. Um, Don't make money. That's a terrible way to be. Exactly. Once company. you have a balance sheet, then those are real numbers. Just <laughs> tear it apart. Expect more and more. What the hell? In 2016, they lost 257 million. Last year, they lost 600 million. That's not good. Maybe you know it's under the couch. There you go. Um, I don't do 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 do. do does money get lost in those fancy European couches? <laughs> I don't, well, you know, when you, I think when IKEA you're taking, might have fixed. When you're that. taking a large portion of your afternoon off, you know, you might uh, yeah. maybe that's what's going to happen. IKEA is going to buy them. They're going to merge and be one giant company that runs all of Sweden. And there you go. <laughs> well, what's what's odd about what's 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 yet another odd thing about Spotify is how they've lost money. Um, I mean, but they have great brand equity. I think anyone would want to buy Spotify stock just by the name, which is not necessarily a good reason to buy a stock. Uh, but what's odd is Spotify doesn't pay the people that put music on Spotify that much, except for the uh, except that Wolfpack actually found a way around that model, which was smart. Um, Spotify doesn't pay the artists that much. They don't really pay. I get does most. Where does this money go? If they have. I don't know. Uh, I just saw the number. 140 million users, and they have, and 60 million of them are paying $10 a month, which means that they're making about $60 million, sorry, $600 million a month. Where, how do you make $600 million a month and lose $600 million? Oh! Well, the, no, no, no. The company paid itself a 13th month. That's what they do in Europe. You get an extra month income for the holidays. So they make $600 million a month. They pay, they, they gave really themselves an extra six hundred million dollars, and there's the lost money. See, well, what does our studio audience think of that? There you go. What do they think of that? Uh, wildly inappropriate response. Wildly, <laughs> yeah. Um, so. I, I don't know. It's going to be quite interesting, but I'm sure, like you said, Christian, it'll still happen. It'll still happen that way. Uh, it'll it'll come out strong. It'll dip a little bit, and it'll kind of 
settle yeah, at some price. I'm starting to notice that's the trend with tech companies. But what's Facebook at right now? I don't know offhand. Facebook Have is their at stock splits though, uh, or is it, is 186.85, and I bought it when it was when it IPO'd at 50 bucks. Yeah. That means that the two shares of Facebook that I have made some money. I should have bought more. So you made three hundred dollars in three hundred days. No, I bought like this that. stock like five years ago. Jesus, get into digital currency. That's the slowest return ever. It's funny because you're <laughs> right. Look at a savings account. <laughs> Jesus. No, that's the slowest return ever. Unfortunately, <laughs> savings accounts are a joke. Uh, but thanks, Banks. Uh, it's funny because like people who were seventy years old, they think that's how you save money. Like, oh, just open up a savings account and get a CD and just let it sit. And, you know, just take it out in two years, and it's worth so much more. What that world doesn't exist do anymore. You know? What? What seventy-year-olds do you know? I'm from South Florida. <laughs> anyway, uh, that world doesn't exist anymore. So, uh, but it is nice that Facebook stock is up, and it looks like it's actually spiked to yesterday or on Friday. Yeah. Oh, that might be the Mark Zuckerberg personal goal of the year to become human. No, to fix Facebook was his years. What's wrong with it? People don't like his style. Yeah. Ah, no one can beat his style. <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, the supercomputer, speaking of things that should be doing cryptocurrency instead, we have a supercomputer that's generating prime numbers. Why don't you use those GPUs to mine whoa, Bitcoin? Oh, you skipped over uh, one thing that was actually pretty, uh... Well, we can talk about that next, uh... Fine. But this is slightly... Whatever. This is good. It's a better order. Uh, the largest prime number... There's a new... Sorry. The new... A new prime number has been generated by a computer, supercomputer, whose job it is to generate prime numbers. What are we going to use that number for, Christian? Uh, Being proud of ourselves? It's Christian's income for the next year after he's invested in Bitcoin. Uh, I wish. (laughs) Are we just going to put it on the fridge of humanity, or are we going to do something with that number? Uh, It could be useful for photography. Can it fit on one screen, or do you have to, is it like a scrolling number? Because it has 23,249,425 digits. Yeah, that's a lot more than your screen has pixels, so I'm assuming it's not going to (laughs) fit. The number is called M77232917. And that's the 50th prime number of its type ever discovered. I love how they found it. How did they find it? Multiplying 77,200,000. 32,917 twos, as in the number two. So two Oh, that many power. times. That's how they get the number. And then subtract one. Uh, that's, how they get, <laughs> that's how they get M. And then they have to test it all the way through? Yep. That poor computer. Like I said, it should be Minus mining cryptocurrency <laughs> instead. Think about that. That could actually make a buck. The previous record, Mersine Prime, was discovered in January 2016, coming in at 910,807 digits fewer than the new one, M77. So that's... Why didn't they just tell you how many digits? 23249425 minus 910807 is 22,338,618 digits. So the 2016 prime number had 22,300,000 digits, and the 2017 prime number had 200, or sorry, uh, 23,249,000. A million more digits. Interesting. Jeez. Do they Next. have to, what type of memory do they have to do this? Like, 
To... Uh, so you ever go to uh, you, you can might be able to fit all your data in RAM. Uh, like just Google it. it it's a uh, website that like shows like yeah no up to like one petabyte you can actually get in RAM depending on what server you have. Huh, gotcha. That's and that's okay. not even a supercomputer. This is a supercomputer, so who knows? Gotcha. Moving on, there's a Raspberry Pi Pi server. Yeah. Tool. So what's that? This isn't exactly a supercomputer, but it's pretty cool. It's like the opposite of a supercomputer. No, I wouldn't say that. Uh, you have your traditional x86 server running Raspbian, which is a fork of Debian. And then you can actually have a bunch of Raspberry Pis connect to it as a client. So, like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, this was how my elementary school actually set up our, the, our computers. And then, well, actually, I should say my elementary school, that, that, that was too early. Probably, like, more like high school, actually, come to think of it. But same idea. You had one centralized server, and then you had a bunch of these, like, lightweight uh, versions Thin of Thin clients. Yeah. That just connected to the server, and then everything was stored on the actual server. So it's like a mainframe. Yeah, basically. But also, you can boot up the entire Raspberry Pi off uh, over Ethernet now. Like a Pixie boot, or yeah, like huh? a Pixie boot. So What's I like a Pixie it? boot. Pxe. Pixie boot is like a way to boot over uh, the network for like uh, it. Also, like you have a server that serves the image to boot off of the uh, uh, the, new, the new machine that you're Pixie booting, and with this. You could just have it like uh, like one 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 idea would be like you're using it in a classroom and you just want students to be able to connect to it and like they just need like a web browser and everything else just gets saved to a centralized server, or you can use it to be like oh I have a bunch of servers that I just want to have all the data on the same thing it's going to be kind of uh, slow because you're writing back to the main server, but you could also be like oh I've got like a bunch of little uh, like uh, nginx processes serving my blog on Raspberry Pis. Nice. Yeah, so, so uh, I see no SD cards. Yeah, you don't need any data. Oh, because the, it's all coming from the server. Yeah, you don't actually need any storage on the Raspberry Pi. And can the Pi server just be a regular Raspberry Pi, but it runs the Pi server program? Or? You need the newest Raspberry Pi, but yeah. Gotcha. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, so... Uh, Back to the uh, trying to become more academic, more authoritative uh, a source that people can trust. Our episode name tonight is called Smirsh, and that is based off of a James Bond reference. Is yes. that right? Yes, it is. Yes, from the it. Bond. I don't get it. The Bond novels, not even the Bond movie. This was a good one. Thank you. Why don't Why don't you explain uh, to us and, and to Tyler what it is? So, in the Bond uh, uh, novels and uh, a little bit the, the films are inconsistent unfortunately but in the novels uh there's usually like a uh, there's been like main evil organizations throughout the novels and in the early days it was uh, uh like a group uh focusing on like uh, the, uh they're called smirch was the original ones and which st- stood for uh, oh come on! You chose the episode name. I know you don't know, know what the acronym. It stands for a Russian acronym, which actually was impossible. I, it'd be funny if you could pronounce it. Simultaneous. Yeah, exactly. Specialnym meta. I'm not reading that. Yeah. It's a special methods of spy detection in Russia. Yeah, I, I wonder why I couldn't remember it. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, there was a real at? Smirsh organization, by the way, that existed in Russia between 1943 to 46. Uh, and, but I guess to explain why Smirsh as the title, uh, so the the focus is around these uh, new vulnerabilities that just came out that are a huge deal. 
Uh, one of them's called Spectre, and Spectre in the James Bond novels replaces Smirsh. Ah! There you go. Bring it all the way back around. And in the movies, they use Spectre instead of Smirsh. Daniel yeah, Craig. They, they, they use Spectre the entire time in the movies. Right. So, you've only seen Smirsh if you've read the books that came out in the 50s, which we haven't. I haven't. That little, uh, that little uh, anecdote about... The anecdote about how Smirsh was like uh, actual was a real agency reminds me of how like they used ISIS and Archer and now like ISIS is a bad thing. <laughs> well, they had to replace that like multiple times and like the la- the last one where they actually had an organization, it wasn't it like the uh, Figus Agency, something like that. There's it was like, uh, hey, that ISIS name is just a little too familiar, and then two years later, it's like, oh crap. <laughs> well, it starts out as like an Egyptian god, so that was cool. And then you know. These guys had to come in. They weren't original. They just used a name that, like, come on. I, they, oh, they, I know. Just total incident. Yeah. ISIS does not does not have creativity. <laughs> no patent on that. Uh, and if and if you uh, are a fan of a lighter James Bond, Get Smart had Chaos. K A O S. I didn't see about that. The man from Uncle. Yeah. Uh, what did Uncle stand for? I don't remember. Uh, whatever. Um, okay. Well, we've spent a lot of time at the top of the show. So now yeah. it's time for our New York Minute. Where we take a look at your five boroughs. And it looks like the Hudson River is starting to freeze. Wow. So hell is freezing over. No. Uh, <laughs> it already froze over because, because it snowed in Florida. Right. It did. Earlier this week, because of the storm that we had on Saturday, which gave us a bunch of snow, or whenever it was. Anyway. Cold gators. Yeah. Uh, it's cold, and uh, a lot of homeless people have been moved into hotels. There are uh, multiple reports. Of- like, nice hotels at that, I found out. Yeah, and then they've caught, they've, there's been a lot of crime in those hotels as well, right? Uh, probably. I've heard that uh, that might have been a mistake, but what are they going to do? There were uh, multiple reports of trailer park residents getting frostbite through their Crocs. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Oh. There's, uh, there's, there are multiple reports of people in the Bronx who are living in projects without heat during this, which is really bad. Yeah. And uh, their landlords are not doing anything about it. Um, crime plagues hotels used as homeless shelters for families. An investigation finds. A report released on Thursday from the Department of Investigation found homeless families with children are, are often put into hotels that have a history of prostitution, assault, and drugs. Between January and August of last year, more than half the sites housing homeless families had multiple arrests on the premises. That doesn't surprise me, like, at all. Yeah, yeah. It's not It's not good. It just doesn't it's, surprise yeah, me. Yeah, it's not happy, but like, it's just like, oh, this makes sense. We even had homeless residents who were being solicited for prostitution activity at these hotels. Great. It's like, look, well, the Ritz was booked. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to have to put really you at the sucks, Waldorf. So we should change that, but it's yeah. not surprising. Uh, what else happened the first week of January? Uh, our uh, word I can't say on this show, Mayor was inaugurated by a Mr. Bernie Sanders. Boo. Boo Wendy Tesberger. Boo Wendy. I don't know why I don't know why Bernie got to be the person to inaugurate the Blasio, but oh, but maybe you, it evokes you know a Bernie why. impression. I guess Karl Marx is already dead. What? <laughs> but maybe we get a Bernie impression for it anyway? Maybe. Uh 
I don't know, because it was... Is it because, like, Bernie is, like, the chief New Yorker now? Like, he's just... No, he's just the person that uh, everyone in New York likes the most. I know, but they won't vote for him, which is the which is really sad. He's king of New York and the East Coast Jews right now, I think, but he shares that throne with Larry David. Exactly. It kind of sounds like a gang. East Coast <laughs> Jews. <laughs> like most, the, the funniest gang you'd ever see. Oh, man, uh, I was funny. going through the... That reminds me, I was going through the Jewish part of uh, Williamsburg the other day, and I saw a bunch of Hasidic people getting on the US bus. The US bus? Yeah, that's what it was called. It was, what do you mean? I really, what? What do you mean? <laughs> it was it was a bus for SIDS, and it was called the US bus. I found it really funny. It was called the US bus? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Well, that's the bus for the US. Or for them. <laughs> Great. Okay. Anywho. Anywho, moving on. I think that's enough for our New York Minute. Uh, you've got some top reads for this week, Christian. Yeah, I don't so- have... Theme this music. is a, a new thing that I figured I'd try, and so for the first one, these are just good books. These aren't ones I've been currently reading, aside from The Lost City of the Monkey God, which is a great book by uh, Douglas Preston about this, uh, this guy. He goes searching in, uh, for this lost city in Honduras with absolutely no proof that it's ever existed. And huh. it's just a really good read and like very like motivational, like just keep on trying in something you believe in. And um, Do you actually, Are you actually reading all these books? I've either read or, or, or reading them. Ah, how much? How many hours a day do you read? Books? Uh, one, one hour probably. Gotcha. Okay, go on. Maybe more, uh, depending on like my day. But uh, and then so the next one, uh, and this is one if you feel serious about uh, becoming a backend programmer at all, I highly suggest you read. And that's the Linux Programming Interface by Michael Karisk, who is uh, um, he uh, helps organize the man pages for Linux, and so this guy knows a lot about uh, syscalls, and the whole book is on syscalls, which is really useful if you do backend programming, and it is just like one of the books to read for tech. Huh. And then lastly, but not least, uh, Apprenticeship Patterns, I shared uh, by David H. Hoover. I shared this with you guys. and uh, I like some, the style of it. It's a really good book to just, like, it, I, I came across it when I was feeling a little less than motivated to code. And it, it is a pro. It does. It's written in the context of being a programmer, but it has nothing to do with programming. Right. But it's very direct. It's very frank. It's very in your face. It's very. It's very logical. It's very matter of fact. And I really appreciate that. Uh, as it. As it. You know. You've been. Well, I. I looked at the. The. You don't want to do this anymore. Chapter. And it's just like I know. We've all yep. been there. <laughs> but anyway. Um, hey, if uh, if we get a chance, we should post those links. Yeah, for the yeah, show. yeah, we should, uh, and then solicit them for advertising. Anyway, <laughs> give us money nice? later, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, um, I need to get back into reading. I think those would be great. Uh, apprenticeship patterns might be the first one that I pick up, but because it's Sunday night, that means it's time for our GitHub issues of the week. Our first GitHub issue of the week comes to us from BPF, or BPF Compiler Collection, which is called BCC. BPF is something separate, technically. This is just a compiler for it. Okay. Well, it's the BPF Compiler Collection, BCC, which stands for Broward Community College. (laughs) No. Brevard Community College? No. Burlington Community College? No. Anyway, anyway, the same USDT probe appearing in multiple binary files is not working. USDT is in dollars? No, as in user space probes. Gotcha. 
And so this can happen in a lot of ways. Like uh, the example I'd give is you have two dynamically linked libraries that are uh, add the same trace point. Okay. And uh, so then you try to uh, add a user probe for uh, that trace point, and uh, all of a sudden uh, you go to uh, broaden your EPF program to uh, do whatever tracing you're doing on the pro on the program. And you'll get this error. I actually ran into this on my weekend project. I've been working on a profiler that does user space and kernel space, like CPU, memory, and I.O. profiling. And I actually ran into this issue where I was trying to trace how many times I call uh, malloc to allocate memory. Mm -hmm. And I had uh, two separate... I had my code that I was testing, and I had a library that were both uh, dynamically linking... Uh, not, well, one was statically linked, and one was dynamically linked to libc, which is where malloc comes from. And so I ran into this collision, and apparently so did a Facebook engineer who was the one who created this issue. And thankfully, though, they submitted a, 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 a patch for this that is going to be in the next release. And all it does is say, like, uh, probes are now also specific to a binary. So based on a certain path, they are pointed to that... Uh, it, it is a probe related to that path, instead of being like, hey... This is the same probe, and you got two conflicting paths. Huh. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah, so I'll be happy when that gets uh, released. Okay. Uh, anything else? Nope. Good. Well, moving on to our next GitHub issue of the week. The next Git uh, our next GitHub issue of the week comes to us from weather. It's cold outside. Should I take an <laughs> umbrella? <coughs> Christian? Uh, yeah. Uh, That's so, what it's called. Should I take yeah, an umbrella? What is, well, uh... That was the title of the issue. Yeah, what's the, what's, yeah. what's weather? So weather is a command line utility uh, that you can get your local forecast with. I like to use it uh, when I'm about to leave work, and I just want to know, hey, uh, what's the temperature out or something You just like type that. weather? Yeah. And, and it's reliable. Yeah, and it also, like, uh, reacts to certain things like birds, chili, it'll message, or... Really? Like, or, and, like, uh, the, the, no matter what... As long as I've been in New York and I've ran this command, it'll say "you" at the hu humidity. Huh. <laughs> well, hopefully not right now. Oh yeah. no, it does. It's like forty-nine percent humidity. Ugh, that is yeah. that is gross. Um. Okay, so what? Oh, printing an hourly summary or visualization of hourly data precipitation probability would tell us. So it's a feature request. Yeah. Okay. And one that'd be really awesome, and it's to include hourly data, which already is in the payload. That's not being printed out, and then you'd know, hey, it's this likely to rain. Cool. All right, yeah, that would be that would be pretty cool. And I'm trying to install weather right now on my computer, and it doesn't look like you need go. I need go. Yeah. And sky weather, dark sky weather. You know, why don't they just use dark sky? Dark sky yeah. is a great API that does all this. I mean, it can hit that. It's using weather weather I/O, which is simple. But this is just a command line utility, so, so it's a front end to whatever server. Cool. And uh, did they say they were going to do this? What do you mean? Yeah. Oh, make the change? Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Our next GitHub issue of the week comes to us from Servo. Overflow query bails out... I almost said query balls. Overflow <laughs> query bails out of reflow and asserts. Take it away. So what this means is you have a really long query, and it'll actually overflow the memory uh, that was uh, granted for the query. And so that could mean a lot of really bad things, actually. 
How do you get it to overflow the query? You have, I mean, sorry, uh, memory bounds. You have the giant query. Yeah, just a really large one. Okay. And so normally Rust is really good at protecting against. So one thing about Zero is it's like the poster child for the, the Rust programming language. It was like the first project that uh, Mozilla started with Rust, and Rust was created by Mozilla. And with this, uh, uh, so you have a really long query, and you can just uh, overflow the memory. Rust normally has a huge amount of protection around overflows, and it's all at compile time, which is interesting, instead of runtime. And with that, uh, what this probably means is there's somewhere where they have unsafe code where they bypass the, the usual checks and just say, no, I want to do this thing. And so they got to actually find where that's happening and then patch that. To, it's uh, almost like this. if a processor had some kind of unsafe code that bypassed a bunch of checks and then allowed the you to leak information. To yeah. Totally different things, but... Of course they're totally different, yeah. but it's, uh, it's uh, similar. Similar. All right. Uh, anything else? Uh, not with this one, other than uh, Servo is something that, uh, as parts of it get developed, are moved into mainline Firefox. So gotcha. uh, if you're using Firefox, you're using little bits of Servo. And should we be using Firefox? You said you liked uh, Quantum. I, I, I really like Firefox. I'm very happy with it. I will do an experiment this week. I will use it at work as my primary developing browser, and we'll see what happens. All right. All right, and uh, hopefully I remember to do that instead of just using Chrome because it's still open. Anyway, uh, our last GitHub issue of the week comes to us from Node. Well, Node.js. As in this bump on my shoulder. Node.js issue, actually. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, Node.js. Assert.throws works incorrectly for functions that throw undefined. Yep. So basically, uh, the error you're, you're throwing is undefined, which it makes sense that it doesn't work, actually, but it should. If we're doing an assert lib here. Throw undefined. That, would, that, would, that should create some kind of undefined exception when you go to throw it. Because it's undefined. The thing that you're throwing is undefined. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, well, it should be like, hey, your function, di- like, you're looking that the function did throw an error. And right. Which it does, in fact, throw an error, so that error is undefined. What? So if, Why if like, would you do that, though? In- well, so, like, if you're passing your error around as data, and at some point it's like, hey, this variable was declared but never actually assigned a value, and that happens to be the error, then you're throwing undefined, which means your your code is messed up, but you can catch it through this assert.throw. Huh. If you're doing, like, tests, like unit tests or something. That, right, this would be a good thing for unit tests, but, uh... All right. Well, moving on, because after our GitHub issues, it's time for Tyler's Plus One. Our pull request Plus Ones are where we send out well wishes and acknowledgments of awesomeness to people and other organizations. Who's our first Plus One this week, Tyler? (laughs) This week our Plus One is... No one. No one? Nothing really happened this week that I could find. Uh, Did you guys notice anything that happened that was awesome? Um, I mean, I switched to GNOME off of Unity. I'll give that a plus one. No yeah, but then you cool. have to redo your microphone settings. You should get a minus one for that. <laughs> it uh, doesn't mean I right, did it this zero. week. Why are, is anyone that you can think of awesome this week for something? This week? Uh, I don't think anything happened this week. I did see the CEO of Ripple is now one of the richest guys in the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that and and, and that's an interesting question because when you when you when cryptocurrency 
when there's new cryptocurrency that's introduced, does that create new wealth, new money, or does that just change the value of existing money? Actually, you know what? That's not a plus one. Let's throw that away. If someone gets a minus one this week, Steve Bannon. <laughs> Doesn't he always get? Per- it's like yeah. a permanent. He's a minus permanent one. negative infinity. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, he got another minus infinity well, minus one this week. Wild true, Steve Bannon minus minus. <laughs> yeah. You'll run out of memory to store that negative number, that giant <laughs> negative number that's twenty three million digits long. Uh, <laughs> That's all I got. Uh, it's cold. The snowstorm gets a plus one. Uh, uh, fro- oh, they, my, JFK gets a minus one. There was a water main break, and JFK was uh, the jet blue terminal was flooded. Uh, so far, Eric, your plus ones for the week are at like a negative three trillion. Okay, uh, let's yeah. see. Sydney <laughs> breaks record heat with 116 degree weather. Can't say that's positive. No. Dunkin' Donuts scales back menu. No. Tim Horton scaled back to can't say it's positive. Uh, <laughs> uh, Apple, nope. Okay. And that's been our plus one. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> let's just run into something more negative. <laughs> that, that might be my favorite plus one. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it was good. I liked it. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's you know, around the holidays, it's always tough. And that's basically it it's always tough because no nobody wants to work nobody nobody wants to do anything all the big stuff no one's actually paying attention anyway so not they're not going to do the big stuff over the holidays except for the fact that oh here's a plus one leave the music off uh uh cannabis penny stocks have all doubled in the past week or since christmas and then they took a giant hit on tuesday when sessions opened his mouth yep but anyway damn yeah we tried but you know what? Uh, after our plus ones, it's time to take a little poop on Apple. That's right. It's our Apple attack. The app you can trash. How system integrity protection is broken in High Sierra. Try to uh, try to remove a system installed app in High Sierra Mac OS 10.13. You're not going to be able to. There's a there's an app called Blue Stacks. It's in Library Staged Extensions Applications BlueStacks.app. If you try to remove it, it says Operation Not Permitted. Okay, I'll I'll be a root user. Pseudo RMRF BlueStacks.app Operation Not Permitted. What That's happened? Scary. Quote the Raven. <laughs> Quote never the more. Raven. Never more. What happened? It's rootless. Oh. Apple yes. took a poop on us. Apple, yes, Apple introduced in uh, Sierra. They introduced this rootless. I think it was Sierra. Maybe it was High Capitan or El Capitan. No, it was Sierra. It was Sierra. They introduced this rootless mode, which we knew was going to cause a problem, uh, because for 50 years Unix operating systems have had a root user, and Apple decided to take it away for no it's, reason. It's well, it does have a root user. It sandboxed out of uh, the. Basically, uh, when it's in the factory, you have real root, and then they seal it away. Gotcha. Well, that in, that real root installed this BlueStacks app, and the regular root can't take it away. If you reinstalled from the factory image, it would probably come back. Wow. 
Yes. This is sad. Perhaps even, not surprisingly, even Apple's developer documentation doesn't seem to answer any of these questions. Like, so how did this third-party kernel extension end up in this mysterious folder complete with SIP protection? Surely SIP is there. Oh, I don't want to say SIP because that's like the tele, uh, telephony protocol. But surely system integrity protection is there to protect Mac OS, not third-party app components installed later by the user? Or what was enabled? what enabled SIP on that extension? So Apple doesn't answer these questions about things that involve system integrity protection because I'm sure they were arrogant enough after they introduced it, they just thought, oh, it's going to be fine. We know what we're doing. Apple, we're great. So should we, we officially declare shenanigans on Apple for this? You should officially declare shenanigans on Apple for this and then uh, disable system integrity protection. At least just to remove the thing that you want to remove. At least just to do the thing that you wanted to do without your computer telling you no. And and then you can turn it back on. I actually, the Spaces program that I use, Total Spaces, requires that you temporarily disable system integrity protection during the install because it interfaces, it uses some kind of exploit with the dock app in order to uh, bring the grid spaces back to Mac OS. And that was the best thing they ever did, and of course they took it away. So. Too good to be true. Too good to be true, and that's our Apple attack. Okay. Yeah, you know, Apple, even though they have good computers, or sorry, they're trying to introduce good computers, future tens, uh, they're just digging a big hole for themselves. Well, they're digging a big, big hole for themselves. And um, I don't know what to do other than buy a PC, and then Apple will start to complain. Like I said, GNOME is pretty dope. Buy a PC, put Ubuntu on it. Put GNOME or uh, Unity. Actually, as long as it's not in uh, Lenovo or an Acer, you can just go straight to Ubuntu 17 and it'll ship with GNOME. Well, you said that GNOME's having I... issues with Electron, so That's, warning. That but... is true. I cannot run Electron apps at the moment. Was I that because of the runtime? It might be because of the display manager I'm using, because like, you can choose between light, light DM and GDM. GDM being like the old school GNOME display manager. Right. And I went with GNOME just because I'm like, oh, I know how that works. I don't know how LightDM works, so let me use that. And yeah. so, yeah, Electron's not working too awesomely with it. Like, so is... The, app, the app will open up. Like, I'm using, like, Google Chrome's... Uh, like, the uh, Google Hangouts app that uh, Google has. Okay. Like the se- separate from Chrome app. Okay. It's basically just a Chrome instance, though, and I think it's an Electron app. I'm not entirely sure. And it just won't load. That said, Spotify is an Electron app, and that loaded just fine. Well, maybe they're trying to do something. Open up the console. I, I'll, I'll load it from Terminal, and I get the whole uh, debug messages then. Well, so. what, what comes up? Do you see any errors? I, 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 all I saw was something that, and I saw that uh, it was like some error with uh, talking to the display manager. Oh, well, then it sounds like... So, do, is Unity... I, I, you know what? I've been away from Unix for long enough. I mean, I, I use it every day when I talk to servers, but I don't use it as my desktop uh, uh, operating system. It was Unity something that just came and went because GNOME was 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 the king the last time that I really ran Ubuntu on my desktop. I think Ubuntu wanted something that was a little bit more like a, a Unity was an attempt to get uh, like the less programmery world into it. Like uh, be like, hey, this is like a pretty thing that's very user friendly. Uh, I mean, I liked like, how GNOME looked. Yeah, I I love how GNOME looks, particularly GNOME three. I'm enjoying this, but. Uh, I think Unity existed in a large part to try to get, like, Windows users to uh, Linux. Ah, which would explain why it was called Unity. 
Well, I don't, I don't know if that was the namesake, but no, oh, okay, I, I get it. Well, here's a little number I wrote while duck hunting. Ah, ah, I just blew it. Here's a little number I wrote while out duck hunting with a judge. No, um, <laughs> you very much the FCC. Anyway, yeah, that's right. Because our next story, a bright positive moment. Yes, and it's because our next story is about the FCC. Oh yeah, F- I know all FCC. about the FCC. Yeah, <laughs> FCC. <laughs> uh, oh man, yeah. Um, let's see, FCC to hide the digital divide. Uh, you know what, Christian? I really, I really want to do the song. Go right ahead. Okay, well, ah! <laughs> yep, and that's the song. Anyway. Um, no. They will clean up all your talking in a manner such as this. They will make you take a tinkle when you want to take a piss. And they'll make you call fellatio a trouser-friendly kiss. <laughs> all right. Um... <laughs> No. Anyway, the FCC is trying to hide the digital divide by reversing the progress that we've made in the 21st century. This is slated to come up for a vote on February 3rd. Uh, The FCC has amended its definition of uh, broadband. The FCC has a definition for broadband. You know what? Music is distracting me because I I just want to sing it, but I don't sound like Seth MacFarlane. Anyway. Uh, And... Anyway, uh, so the FCC used uh, the annual broadband report in 2015 to increase the definition of landline broadband to 25 megabits a second download and 3 megabits a second upload. But the FCC is uh, going to amend that definition again. Are they going to move it up? No, they're going to increase it to a lower number of 10 megabits down, 1 megabit up. That's broadband. Why would anyone want to do that? Because then you can say, broadband is now rolled out to 90% of the country. I really want to see ISPs that will give you, like, a decent upload speed without having to be, um, like, paying for, like, really, Businesses have good upload speeds. Well, well, residential is always uh, asymmetrical. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say always because Fios is not. It's usually asymmetrical, and and business is usually the one that's symmetrical. But the thing is is that the FCC's definition of broadband is what is allowing uh, other countries to say that they are better than us at internet connectivity. So, well, that, in America, this is a very American thing that we're doing. I know that us. nobody likes Ajit Pai except for the companies that he works for, but the thing is, is that this is a very American thing that we're doing. We There's a standard that we set that we can no longer meet. So rather than saying we should get better, like, you know, at math or at reading or at science, we just change the standard. And now we're great. <laughs> you just keep lowering that bar so we stay awesome. Exactly. So now we're doing, we have a 90% broadband rollout because the definition of broadband is slightly better than what you get in AOL. And meanwhile, like, uh, South Korea still has, like, the slowest option is 330 megabits. Well, I mean, look, if, if, uh, if we had, if Long Island had the whole country's resources for internet, then they probably have the slowest is 300 megabits too. The idea is that these countries true. are really small I mean, compared to... Have you to been out to Long Island? It's still yes. screwed up. 
Okay, but you, you get what I'm saying. It's that these countries are really small. And yes. if they have a whole country's budget of infrastructure to deal with. So when they say, And then they're rolling out the infrastructure 20, 30 years after we did. Well, uh, like, meanwhile, though, look at, look at like, uh, we brought it up last uh, show, uh, the NYC Mesh thing that... Uh, Definitely gonna check out. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm. I haven't actually looked at like what speeds they're getting, but that's one, three, two. Uh, the way the, a network mesh works is the, there are limits, but it's very hard to hit those limits as far as scaling out goes. So you can hit large sizes. It's just these companies that are already in place go out of their way to uh, put, uh, provide as little as possible without, like, like technically, if we were all on like a giant mesh network, there'd be no issue, and like you, you could provide the same speed across the entire country. Except that isn't wireless. I mean, the mesh networks aren't they inefficient in terms of bandwidth because they have to receive and transmit with the same bandwidth allotment? No. The, the, the big issue there is the fact that you like uh, you go out into more rural areas, and all of a sudden that distance becomes much larger because uh, uh, the uh, the way a mesh network uh, really um, thrives, I guess you could say, is through distance, like being close together. Which a city works great, which is why this NYC mesh thing works. Is right. the fact that you've got like uh, one of the super nodes are like just a mile away from us in uh, Greenpoint. Well, not really Greenpoint, but, like maybe Williamsburg. Okay. Uh, but the other th- the other thing, by the way, that the FCC is doing is that they're saying uh, they're counting cellular data speeds as a substitute for landline broadband using this 10 down, 1 up megabit per second definition. Uh, so that means that any customer who can receive either cell or landline data, speaking of rural, uh, that meet the appropriate speed would be then considered to have broadband available. I can only imagine these new, this this Orwellian kind of press release they're going to have somewhere in the Midwest, which is, yeah. guess what? Broadband's coming to your area. But the internet speed's not actually changing. <laughs> yeah. I just signed up for broadband. Okay, well, uh, what happened? Well, oh, enough. they'll charge you more. They'll just charge Everyone you more. has broadband now. Congratulations. Yeah. I did it. 100%. Thanks, guys. Uh, but it, it creates a few problems. Like, it's hard to measure cellular speeds in reality. The real-world cell speeds are nearly impossible to accurately measure. Well, this actually reminds me. I went to a uh, conference in Baltimore, um, eh, like, of th- three months shy of a year ago. And uh, my, my, I just remember my reaction to finding out the, like, the free internet was, like, two megabits per second, and the pay-for-internet was, like, eight. And I'm like, who... Who would pay for this? Oh, that's almost broadband. Yeah. Uh, North Koreans would pay for it. Uh, let's see. People <laughs> in probably like Venezuela, they're the ones in riots right now. Um, I think Africa actually has better internet speeds than that. They're not they probably it. wouldn't pay for it. Maybe they'd pay for it in Madagascar, though, because they do have a plague going on. Uh, <laughs> Russia Maybe. might pay right. for it. China right. might pay I, for I, it I get if it was open First internet. Problems, but. <laughs> uh, you can't anyway. ask me questions like that. I, I, I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm trying to not pay for my 330 megabits per second, but... There you go. Move to South Korea. Um, broadband speeds are reported by the carriers. The cell ca- carriers are likely to report speeds by the cell site, meaning that they'll ignore all the variations of speeds listed in the real world outside of their cell site. Uh, and then ha- that's just one site. You know, go to another cell tower. Anyway, uh, most ISPs report that the average U.S. house now uses between 150 and 200 gigabytes of bandwidth a month. 
Think so about this. Combined with Comcast, I think it was 2007 decision to cap residential internet at 250 gigabytes a month. Everyone joked about it then. Guess what? That cap hasn't changed. Yeah, which which scares me because I was just earlier today looking at my uh, my router has a uh, traffic analysis app. Uh-huh. And I in the first week of January, uh, you've downloaded the whole Library of Congress. No, but I should. <laughs> but. Uh, I average one terabit, uh, byte. Bit yeah, or byte? sorry, ter- terabyte uh, a month in network traffic. Well, if you, you had you Comcast, sir, have a heavy appetite for pornography. <laughs> you, you, you caught me. You caught me. It's, it's all porn and totally not Docker images. Yeah, uh, it looks like you're going to have to get the business internet then from Comcast if that happens. I know Verizon has a cap. I don't know what the cap. No, is, he's not uploading, Eric. Oh. <laughs> That's uh, funny. Um, anyway, uh, one uh, the other thing is this move by the FCC ignores latency, so you might have broadband, but the latency might be too high for you to really use it for any sort of media. And the last thing is that this takes the FCC off the hook. It removes the FCC's responsibility to mandate slash improve slash push for ubiquitous broadband internet. Sad. Sad exclamation point. Sad exclamation point, like Sloppy Steve. Um, Anyway. They're supposed to work for us. Well, they are. If us us. were these billion-dollar companies. It's, you know, when I'm trying to build a billion-dollar company, it's a lot harder than having a billion-dollar company and just keeping it running. So. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Uh, Anyway. uh, We might as well kick off 2018 with a segment that Christian doesn't like too much. Theresa May murders the internet. That's right. Because her security minister, Ben Wallace, put a hit out on tech platforms like Facebook and Google, dubbing such companies as ruthless profiteers, saying they are doing too little to help the government combat online extremism and terrorism, despite helpful messages spreading via their platforms. Quote, we should stop pretending that because they sit on beanbags and t-shirts that they are ruthless profiteers. Or that they are not ruthless profiteers. They will ruthlessly sell our details to loans to loans and soft porn companies. I'm not making this up. But not give it to our democratically elected government, he said. Now, is that guy out of touch or what? This is hilarious, honestly. <laughs> this is right up there with the guy that's like, well, we can, we need, we can have a backdoor to, to encryption because Google knows where I am all the time. Like, that's the same thing at all. I, I, to me, this is like the guy who's got uh, the tinfoil hat and his, shoe, his uh, shoes are uh, tissue boxes. <laughs> if they continue to be less than cooperative, we should look at things that, like tax as a way of incentivizing them or compensating them for their inaction, he told the newspaper. Very passive-aggressive. Uh, because of encryption and because of radicalization, the cost is heaped on law enforcement agencies, Wallace said. I have to have more human surveillance. It's costing hundreds of millions of pounds. If they continue to be less than cooperative, we should look at things as tax, like tax as a way of incentivizing them or compensating them for their inaction. Because content is not taken down as quickly as they could do, says someone who isn't working at these companies, does not work in information technology, and only works in politics, we're having to radicalize people, de-radicalize people who have been radicalized. That's costing millions. I'd like to see the balance sheet on that account. I don't believe this is the problem with Mark Zuckerberg's style that most people have. Who's who? I, first, 
We, the <laughs> sentence, the sentence of de-radicalizing people who've been radicalized—I've never that, heard that before. That that's, makes no sense. That's not true. It's not happening. Don't. No, it is not. I well, I read this website that Be says that Muslim, I should. Damn it! <laughs> exactly. I read this website that says that I should run over people on London Bridge. Don't. Don't do it. We just need to that I guy. Swear. Give me a million dollars. Like we give you a thirty-minute praytime data cap. That's all you get during the day. <laughs> You're capped. You're capped at five prays per day. Yeah, you went to 35 minutes yesterday. That's not cool. <laughs> not cool. Uh, I screamed Olive Wakbar. You'll never believe what happened next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's it, really. Uh, they're just trying. Like like I said, they. I think they took a break for the holidays, but... They're starting 2018, clamoring just as they have been to either have a backdoor in these social media companies or encryption. Or I mean, they already have a gateway for law enforcement. That's what's funny about this. Facebook definitely, and I would assume, I would assume Instagram, since it's owned by Facebook, have these portals for law enforcement. So who are they kidding when they say that we need to de-radicalize people who've been radicalized online? Ridiculous. <laughs> like you could you could apply that to so many things like Vine users and like ridiculous YouTube accounts and like. I think that I think they are. Different. I think this will. I mean, I think this backwards uh, philosophy will be applied like that. But only but time. Like, I'm thinking of it in like a funny context. You know, like you could you could think of it that way and really joke around with these guys' words because they're just obnoxious and absurd. Yes, they're, they're absurd to the point that we know that they don't know anything about how the internet works. Um, <laughs> yes. They really are turd sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> On their best days. On their best day. Uh, no, 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 they're British, so it's turd pudding. <laughs> <laughs> turd crumpets. Turd crumpets, yeah, there we go, turd crumpets and tea. Um, okay, <laughs> <laughs> Those are like the lowest brow British jokes we could ever do. There you go. And British humor is like so highbrow sometimes. It's like it's, it's British humor is so highbrow sometimes, man. It's just like way over my head. <laughs> Thank uh, you. No, I'm just thinking of like jokes that British people would say to rip on us, and then we come back with like turd crumpets. Yeah, exactly. We don't really. <laughs> oh yeah. <It's... laughs> well, our crumpets. cops can shoot people. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anyway, um, moving on. Yeah. Oh, I, was, I, I thought I got you to do the whole song. It'd be cool if you could just keep doing it. If it were Bohemian Rhapsody, it might have happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's time for our cryptocurrency connection. I bought a new cryptocurrency on Friday. Oh. Because we're in a bubble. And the only way to get out of this bubble is for me to get into it. And then I deflate things. <laughs> so, if you want to see Bitcoin crash, just have me buy some. You're it's like Andy Dick walking into the nightclub. Sorry? You're like Andy <laughs> Dick walking into a nightclub. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, the thing is, is that um, I bought this cryptocurrency called Cardano. Have you heard of it? No, Sounds like a new Lamborghini. A D A Cardano. Yeah. No. Well, it's it, it's uh it's it's uh the symbol or the currency symbol is A D A, and uh. it sounds like Ethereum Part Two. I don't exactly know. I don't exactly know what Cardano is used for. And every time I pull up this page with how much it's worth, it's worth less than what I paid for it. <laughs> oh, so man. it's great. 
What happened was this. I tried to buy it. Right now it's at 96 cents to the dollar. I tried to buy it at 94 cents, but because we're in a cryptocurrency bubble, most, if not all, of the alternate exchanges that aren't Coinbase are not allowing new user registration. Meaning huh. Binance, Bitfinex, Bittrex, Bit anything, Bit your mom. No. And who is the idiot that didn't try to get on to these exchanges until it was too late? You and I? Yeah. So, uh, my friends, one of, one of my friends, I have a couple friends who are into cryptocurrency. One of them is quitting his job in a few months because that's how into cryptocurrency he is. And another one of my friends is just doing okay. He told me to buy Ripple two weeks ago, and I didn't. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. And then I didn't do it, and now it tripled in value, and I could have made a buck. <laughs> a whole dollar. Well, if you buy a <laughs> thousand shares, you know. How's this karaoke guitar shares. solo doing for you guys? It's working. Sounds like the real one. Yeah. It's just not played like the real one. It... it- it sounds just like, it, like they have like a little bit of like some weird like flange on there. You know, David Gilmore did love flange. I wouldn't be surprised if it was on that. But, yeah, but you know, his didn't you know take what? It away. wasn't. It, no, you know what? It wasn't on uh, the Dark Side of the Moon guitars. It was. It was on Breathe, but it wasn't on Money. Huh. Uh, yeah, the, the flange. flanger on this on this version is definitely taken away from the initial bite and attack of a guitar tone. It's kind of oh yes, along with thing. not being able to play guitar like David Gilmore when he was twenty seven. Neither can I. And I'm 30. I mean, have you heard him recently? He still sounds really good. I know, because he's a, a, a virtuoso. It's also so, his day job. It's also his day job, <laughs> which if you've listened to his uh, solo albums, that's what he says, and you can tell it's a day job, because ugh. <laughs> spending 40 hours a week on something doesn't mean it's good. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> 40 hours a week on drugs. <laughs> Exactly. Well, no, because I, I, I used to... I mean, yes, I'm a Pink Floyd fan, but I used to be obsessed with them. And I read all of this stuff. This was back in, like, 2005. And I read the commentary on, on David Gilmour's first solo album. And people go... Hey, and he, or he goes, you know, people say that they don't really like the album. But, you know, it's a, it's a job. I gotta, it's my job. I just have to do it. I have to keep making music. So he almost sided with them. He almost agreed with them that it was a bad record. But he just has to keep making them because it's his job. People got to make bad records. I mean, it's not true, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not true. So, what does that mean? <laughs> Nothing. It actually doesn't mean anything. Um, yeah. So, um, anyway. The thing about how I managed to buy one of these coins, Cardano... I tried buying it at 94 cents, but because I couldn't get on these exchanges, I couldn't buy it. I went... I've managed to get on a series of exchanges that I tr- moved money from... And I'm, I'm, I have to include this because this is this, how, how hairy things are right now. I have U.S. dollars that I used to buy an intermediate currency like Litecoin or Ethereum or Bitcoin because those three, really Bitcoin or Ethereum, are more readily available to transfer or to exchange or to trade into other types of cryptocurrency. Those are like universal cryptocurrency coins. Basically, because everybody takes Bitcoin, most people take Ethereum, fewer people take Litecoin, but that's you have to have one of those. And most of these alternate exchanges, because of things like the SEC and the IRS, they don't operate in U.S. dollars. So... You have to, in order to get onto one of these exchanges, you have to have a cache of cryptocurrency in the first place, and then you move the cryptocurrency into the wallet or add your wallet to that exchange based on how you're doing it, uh, and every cryptocurrency has its own wallet, 
And then you can trade and exchange and stuff. And exchanges may have different rates for different currencies. So I wanted to buy Cardano at 94 cents. By the time I, w- I got into an exchange where I could actually buy it, it was $2. But if you looked up the price on Coin Market Cap, it was still $0.94. Cents. So what does that mean? That means the exchange was screwing me. So I didn't buy it th- on that. What I ended up doing is I transferred it to one of my friends who's on Binance because I can't get on. And he bought it for me. And by the time he did that, by the time that happened, so I bought Litecoin with dollars that I then had to transfer through three exchanges to send it to my friend to then buy Cardano with it. And by that time, it had moved up to a dollar two from 94 cents. You should have just stuck with Litecoin. Huh? You should have just stuck with Litecoin. I should have just stuck with Litecoin. It's okay because I still have some of that. I actually have more Litecoin than Cardano because while I'm waiting for this Litecoin, of course, went up 30 bucks from when I bought it. So by the time I actually get it, I'll, I've made like 50 bucks. Nice. Anyway, yeah, and I've made 100 bucks in the Bitcoin that I invested. Oh, sorry. No, I made less than that. More, most of my gains have been on Ethereum. I bought some Ethereum uh, on, in like December 20th, and I was complaining because I bought it at $650. It broke 1000 today. Nice. So, of course, I'm not buying enough to get rich like my friends. I'm just buying enough to figure out how this works and maybe take you guys out to dinner once. But Thank you. Not a problem. Hey, it's free money. You might as well, right? Spread the wealth. Yeah. Hopefully you guys would do the same for me. Trickle down. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, that's trickle down economics. But if I you know, were a billionaire, I would kick you guys out on your... I, see, those are two words that I tried to not say on the show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, Ethereum is at 1162. Wow. Now, back in July, I tried to buy Ethereum. I might have mentioned this before, but I'm still butthurt about it. And then it was $200. Mm-hmm. Ah. Coinbase. It's anyway. okay. That's, a, that's enough. That's all I've got in cryptocurrency. Oh, yeah, and one other thing. From Coinbase, they have a nice PSA. Remember to do your taxes. Uh, oh, so. man. It's going to be interesting for those who've gotten cryptocurrency. I'm sure they're avoiding a class action lawsuit wait, with that message. Wait, does TurboTax actually support this? Or is we'll find out. Like, oh, no, yeah. I can't. Oh, no, I can't use TurboTax on this computer because it still runs Yosemite. Remember last year I, com- I complained that TurboTax was even yelling at me to upgrade? <laughs> it was a, uh, it's a program that really should just be a web page, but it's saying that we can't run on your version of Mac OS because we have to use some super advanced stuff to add numbers. I don't know. Anyway. They use SIMD or something. Something like that. All right, so uh, this week's episode is called Smirsh because it's about not the James Bond book. It's about two huge CPU exploits. One is called Meltdown and one is called Spectre. Uh, yes. Well, let's hear more about that from our news department. Nobody presents news to you. The internet. Most people with computers are reeling this week after news of mankind's two largest CPU exploits ever created. Stemming from undocumented execution codes, these exploits called Meltdown and Spectre allow malicious code to access protected kernel memory and to allow a side channel attack on speculative CPU calls, respectively. These exploits are only for Intel CPUs, and while AMDs have other flaws, including Spectre, there aren't these. 
Meltdown breaks the most fundamental isolation between user operations and your operating system, allowing an attacker to spy on confidential information kept in memory. The second inspector can also read arbitrary memory from the processes. However, it hinges on a flaw in, instru in the instruction set architecture, the ISA, and a low-level processor design that will allow this flaw to continue to harm computer users for years to come. Any fixes that have arrived typically create a speed penalty of about 30%. And what does this mean for computer security going forward? Only time will tell. And so many Americans are afraid of what happens next. We at least know the world, still times and the truth, marches on. And that's why this has been News to You. Brought to you by Pneumonium. So these are really interesting. Uh, I've been, unfortunately, I'm a little too involved in this space uh, with work. So I've been hearing about it a lot. I mean, how uh, could you not? I, I mean, I think everybody in technology has heard a lot about this, and I think everybody. Oh, everybody in tech has definitely heard a lot about this. And I think a lot of people in technology have had to work late this week because of these exploits. Really, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have gone that far. Like really, Microsoft. But, oh, so if you're if you're an, uh, if you're a kernel engineer, well, then yes, yes, you yes, definitely did. All right, so let's Linux let's community. take a Linux step back. Linux community was on top of this before this was even announced. Like Intel, like leaked. Like, uh, well, sorry, it wasn't Intel. It was like, a bunch of researchers actually found these issues in um, pretty was much that Google's this. Project Zero so Google's Project Zero uh, hold on uh, hold on hold on hold on hold on stop 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 we're getting ahead of ourselves why don't we take a step back take a deep breath and tell the wonderful users and Tyler well Tyler knows what this is the wonderful right. our, our wonderful li listener I said users wonderful listeners what these two exploits are Meltdown and Spectre right. so hey I know kind of so okay. with both of these, they're, they're using uh, the, the, the the attack vector is this thing called speculative execution, which is this idea in uh, processors that over the years they've been trying to get faster. So each time uh, you have like uh, in, in code, there's if else's. So like if this condition, run this bit of code. Else, run this code. That's when it does it. So it tries to so it tries to figure out which one of those it's going to do before actually evaluating the conditions. And by doing that, it'll actually load both uh, both branches into the processor. Well, not really into the processor, into this cache. And in that cache is the issue because, well, it's actually buffer. Not, sorry, so it starts, like, it's loading buffered. up the code that it's going to fire on the if and that on the else before it's gonna, it yeah. chooses. Right. Yeah. And then... Uh, that makes then sense. It so it gets, like, of, three or four lines ahead of itself while it's figuring out whether or not it should... Which one it should fire. Right. Yep. And then when it gets to the part where it's supposed... Then, where that code is... Well, Oh, sorry. Uh -huh. So the issue, the issue is actually in the buffer where these things live before they actually execute. Well, hold on. And we forgot to like finish explaining speculative execution. When the yeah, no, this is what I'm doing. Oh, okay. All right. And so it, the, these instructions are loaded into this buffer. The idea is it takes the one that you actually end up using, and the other one's supposed to disappear. But the issue is the fact that it actually doesn't. Where does it go? Oh, wow. It kind of lives in the buffer until uh, the buffer needs to be uh, cleared out and frees up that space. When oh. does this? And when did this happen? Uh, so this was actually discovered in June, and at that point, uh, it was uh, notified by these uh, uh, kernel engineers. Well, pro uh, Google Project Zero notified the, uh, the kernel engineers. They didn't want to release this to the public just yet, because if, if somebody were to be like, oh, these things are a thing and they aren't patched yet, they can really wreak some havoc there. How? Wait, so how often were they were they leaving uh, that buffer full, uh, filled with the excess code? Well, every time you had an if-else, it was possible. Every single time? Yes. Oh wow! So that's just kind of littering your 
your, your yeah. buffer, right? What, what's that littering? Is that littering your, your RAM? Well, so the buffer, the buffer, like, if it's, like, it's staying in there, it'll, like, eventually hit the top of the buffer and should be removed. But it'll, like, live in there until you have, an, uh, like, basically, uh, when you start up the computer, uh, the buffer's empty, and then as you load up instructions, it just gets uh, put in there until, okay, it's full, and now it's like, okay, I need to make room, so the stuff that's older just uh, is removed from the buffer as things are, are loaded in. Is that a stack? Sort of. Sort of. First and uh, last out? Not exactly. Uh, but sort of. Okay. It just, so, it's wait, so like, was it always malfunctioning like that, or was that a, did it somehow change to start leaving that stuff in the buffer uh, because of some code change in the past? No, so this wasn't actually in code, at least for Intel. Uh, this was the case that it just like ne- never actually uh, releasing this patch at a hardware level that does this, and so it ended up b- being that like with this like uh, through le- like uh, certain uh, different exploits using this like uh, meltdown's whole thing is the fact that like uh, you can actually like uh, do this out of order uh, execution so that way like uh, if you have uh, one instruction that's waiting for data to come back from say the disk you can have oh this other instruction is waiting and it's not it's completely it's not dependent on the instruction waiting. So it's like, oh, hey, I have this other instruction that's loaded that I don't actually need to uh, wait for this data to come back from disk for. And so that's what Meltdown uses is this. And then all of a sudden you get those out of order and then you can actually have the wrong uh, execution there. And so that's the issue with Meltdown. And with that, you can actually see uh, kernel space, uh, um, memory in user space and vice versa, which the whole idea is like... the. Uh, uh, the way they uh, protected that before is like randomization of the memory, so that way you can't always go to like address zero and expect it to be kernel space memory. Huh. Okay. So one more time with uh, here. I've got a great meltdown. analogy on spe- uh, speculative execution. You mind, Christian? Sure. Okay. Suppose a regular customer visits the same coffee shop and orders the same caffeinated beverage every morning. Over time, the customer gets to know the baristas who become familiar with the customer's order. Seeking to offer good service and have their valued customers uh, save some time in line, the baristas eventually decide to begin preparing the customer's order while they wave at them as they enter through the front door. But one day, the customer changes their order. Now, the barista has to throw away the previously prepared order and make a new one while the customer waits. Taking the analogy one step further, suppose the barista know the customer's name. They're likely to write that name using a permanent marker on the cup. When they speculatively prepare their usual beverage, they write their customer's name on the cup as well. But if the cup, if the customer comes in with a different order, the speculated cup is thrown away along with the contents inside. However, in so doing, the cup's personally identifiable information is briefly visible to anyone watching. And that's the problem. So the issue with this, like my favorite analogy is actually... It's, it's like we finish. Well, can we just go with this one? Because I just explained it. Yeah, but I, I think I, I've got a shorter one. It's like we. Well, no, but we just have Tyler. You have a question. Um, that was on speculative um, processing, but yeah. execution. Execution. I'm sorry. Uh, but then, but then I was just confused about meltdown. I just wanted to hear one more time about specifically what meltdown does. Ah. So melt, meltdown relies on out of order execution, which is the idea of like you have this one instruction that's waiting for data to come back from your disk, okay. and you have another instruction waiting. It'll do that. And through that, like, you can just see in the buffer, uh, like, the, oh, what was the wrong instruction? And, like, uh, you can see this all, all this info on there. And that's Intel-specific, actually. So Meltdown is an exploit, though, in speculative, speculative execution. Yeah, the, all, both Meltdown and Spectre 
uh, rely on uh, speculative execution. Okay, got it. And, then, and most CPUs since 1995 have been doing this kind of speculative execution. Uh, I'd say it came about in 1995, but it was only really broadly used in like the last 10 years. Huh. Like, uh, if you look at the list, like, Intel actually published a list, and it's literally every CPU for the last 10 years. Interesting. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. Now, AMD decided to pipe up, and they said that AMD processors are not subject to the types of attacks that the kernel page table isolation feature protects against. The this AMD... Is true. Sorry? This is true with a caveat. The AMD microarchitecture does not allow memory references, including speculative references that access higher privileged data when running in a lesser privileged mode that would access that that access would result in a page fault. So, so we're talking about memory pages and page faults. What is a page fault? So a page fault is the idea of uh, you, you need to allocate more memory, uh, processing more memory than the pages that they were given. So it's like, oh, here, here's more pages uh, for you to actually, uh, uh, so uh, you get more page ta- uh, pages for that memory. And then you have these page tables that are swapped onto the MLB, which is the uh, memory something, uh, I forget what the actually stands for, to be honest. But that's actually there to actually, uh, it's the part that, like, with the, in addition to page tables, gives you virtual memory on top of uh, the physical memory. Ah. And so uh, through this, though, uh, this is like the isolation part of like, okay, you can't access, uh, so the bounds check bypass uh, with Spectre. That's this kind of like this, where it's like, oh, uh, I can just go out of bounds and find uh, the kernel space in here. And then like the branch target injection is the other part of Spectre, where that's like, oh, uh, based on the branch prediction, I'm going to say it's like, uh, you try to uh, say, oh, here's the wrong thing, but actually it's the right thing. And it allows you to manipulate the program. So branch target injection would be injecting a fake piece of code in the speculative, or, or some, that would be executed in a speculative manner, so the CPU thinks that this is one of the branches that the program is going to execute when it's actually just malicious code. Is that right? Correct. Okay. That is scary! Yep. Well, so the good news is there are patches. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you're one Windows, you have to wait till Patch Tuesday. Uh, Apple hasn't really spoken about what. No, like they, they have. They've. Uh, they've they have a patch. They, uh, sorry, they have a patch. They haven't really spoken about when the patch has been, have been uh, released. Unless they, just, they said, I think, I believe they have it for iOS already. The Mac OS one. I don't know when that's coming out. Uh, Mac OS ten thirteen two. Oh, it says Apple released mitigation, so I would assume they're already out there if you've released okay. seen a software update. So this stuff does make it everything uh, roughly 30% slower, However, Apple say that our testing, or their testing, with public benchmarks has shown that the changes in 2017 updates, sorry, the changes in these updates resulted in no measurable reduction in the performance. Now, do you so think that they're, that's they're, true? Well, so that's, one thing to note is how uh, different OSs are handling this. Like, Linux is doing the uh, kernel uh, page table isolation, which means it's now slower to uh, switch from kernel memory to user memory. And, like, Intel's claiming all across the board this is workload-specific. That's not exactly true. Well, no, it is true. You know why, Christian? Because if you're not doing any work, these exploits don't do anything. You're not going to notice it. But <laughs> it is the fact that, like, the Linux one, every time you do a syscall, you're, you're switching between kernel and user space. So here's... There's, there's three acronyms that we've come across during this uh, teardown. Uh, there's KASL, which stands for Kernel Address Space Layout Randomization. Or, sorry, uh, Space Layout. 
And then there's KPTI, which is Kernel Page Table Isolation. And then there's Kaiser. What is Kaiser? Uh, I believe that's Kernel Address Isolation to have side channel efficiency Is that the patch for this? That is the one that everybody's complaining about, and that's complaining about. Well, that's the one that that, that uh, has this, uh, uh, the uh, performance degradation. And why why is it that we have a huge? I mean, thirty percent is pretty big. That's enough to buy a new computer. Like, why do all of these have? This kind of penalty, it's because they're using something higher level to patch something that's lower well, level? You're removing this You're removing this optimization that was... Oh, uh, they're taking added. away the speculative execution? Not entirely. They're removing this side channel uh, memory buffer, which, uh, so it's still the speculative execution. It's just, if it's wrong, it just disappears and you can't like, reuse things. It, it, you're, it's like you're running code for the first time on the processor each time. Ah, gotcha. Gotcha. Now, you said that AMD... Mostly, their processors aren't subject to these attacks, but with one caveat. What was that? So, Spectre applies. <laughs> Spectre applies. Why, uh, why is that? Uh, because it just didn't ha- uh, have any patch right. The good news, Oh, because they all is, do speculative execution, that makes sense. AMD just up- has to push a microcode update, though. So, is that- theirs is not a hardware issue. Theirs is actually just in the microcode, which... Uh, I remember on another show you found out this. Uh, everything's using uh, Minix for its. Microphone. Oh yeah, right, right. No, that so, was Intel. Oh, that's Intel. Intel's just, using. Just, I think. Just Intel. I, uh, wow. Hold on, I gotta look. I gotta look that up. I'm pretty sure. No, it's yeah, because the the article was Minix, Intel's hidden in chip operating system. Okay, so it's Intel. Well, a- okay, so AMD just needs to push their microcode updates, and Spectre will be patched as well for them. So AMD. Unfortunately, the kernel right now, uh, and this was uh, for both, like for everything, uh, there's really no option to, uh, to disable this protection at the moment. But if you are an AMD, there's no reason to have this in the kernel, which would be great, so then you don't have this performance disability, this uh, derogation. Which does remind me, my favorite thing to come out of all, all of this entirely is uh, Linus Torvald's reaction to all of this. Oh, it was beautiful. You, you can one, you can tell it's really him because it's very blunt, and like like. There's sometimes people with, uh, like, uh, Linux Foundation has, like, PR people who will say in place of them as, like, a way to be like, hey, this is, uh, like, not okay to say, because, like, uh, people do give Linus, uh, some, uh, uh, bad feet, uh, what's the right way to put it? Uh, not everybody's a fan of how, uh, Linus acts towards, uh, the public. Yeah, but the thing is, is that Linus, he, he can do anything. He's at like the Waz level of geekery. He can do anything, and no one you can't. Well, what do so you do? Or your career would be this, over if you got into an argument about one with Linus. It's really important. For the first time in years, Linus has actually broke code that got into the kernel for this patch. Like, uh-huh. Normally, he just reviews PRs and does management. He actually wrote code for this. For this. Yeah. Well, let's let's take a look at what he's saying. I don't think he curses too much. Uh, he doesn't swear at all. I'm well, sure. he's com- uh, first. He's complaining about Intel's press release, which I'll just take a highlight out of it. Uh, Intel responds to security research findings. They say recent reports that these exploits are caused by a quote bug or quote flaw and are unique to Intel products are incorrect. Based on the analysis to date, many types of computing devices with many different vendors, processors, and operating systems (AMD) are susceptible to these exploits. 
Intel is committed to product and customer security and is working closely with many other technology companies, including AMD, Arms Holdings, and Arm Holdings, and several other operating system vendors, to develop an industry-wide approach to resolve this issue promptly and constructively. Intel has begun providing software and firmware products to mitigate these exploits. Contrary to some reports, any performance impacts are workload-dependent and, for the average computer user, should not be significant and will be mitigated over time. Linus read that and said what? Uh, well, for some reason the link isn't working. Uh, Onto LKML? But, yeah. Uh, but, uh, oh, it's so, currently offline, but the, because the site is using Cloudflare's always online technology, you can continue to surf a snapshot of the site. Boo, boo Cloudflare. Boo Cloudflare. They didn't pay for us to see Star Wars for free. That was Akamai. And uh, it's not like I work for a competitor or anything. No. Yeah. But, you know, Star Wars. Uh, anyway, <laughs> he says... Why is all this done without any configuration options? Exactly. A, a competent is... CPU engineer oof, would fix this by That's making sure... Loose. You know what? My goal, I think, if I did open source is to never get, run into Linus. Like, I just don't want to... I don't want to cross him. I don't want him to notice me. I don't want him to know who I am. I just want to stay away. Now you know why he's my hero. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, as soon as I open my mouth, he's going to have a problem. My career is That's over. the goal of everyone from Long Island, Christian. What, to what? get me to stay away from them? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes. Yes, actually. Uh, let's Christian, see. you're uh, failing miserably. <laughs> that's because he, he lives in Brooklyn now. Uh, a competent CPU engineer would fix this by making sure speculation doesn't happen across protection domains. Maybe even an L1i dollar sign? I don't know what the I dollar sign is. Uh, that is keyed by the CPU. I think somebody inside of Intel needs to really take a look, a long, hard look at their CPU, apostrophe S, and actually admit that they have issues instead of writing PR blurbs, as in public relations, that say everything works as designed. And that really means that all these mitigation patches should be written with, quote, not all CPUs are crap in mind. Or is Intel basically saying that we are committed to selling you crap forever and ever, never fixing anything? Because if that's the case, then maybe we should start looking towards the AMD 60 or the ARM 64 people more. Please I mean, talk to management, period. Because I really see exactly two possibilities. One, Intel never intends to fix anything. Or two, these workarounds should have a way to disable them. Which of the two is it? Signed, Linus. I, I feel like that was just absolutely right in every single way, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I really hope it's the case that oh, all you, and the first of all, this could be great for Intel actually. Be like oh, now you guys have to all buy new processors. Oh well, <laughs> maybe then, that's why their stock didn't go down that much. Yeah, but that's I I mean I I'm I've been looking at AMD as my next processor just because now uh, on the consumer side you can get a 16 core. Processor. Ooh. Well, by the um, or even thirty-two core if you really want. But, really, interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, Intel is about to debut a, a brand new uh, type of processor that fuses something. It doesn't matter. It's already going to be exploited by Meltdown. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you like how I pause just right with the music? That's my goal. Anyway, uh, so what? Back to Kaiser. Not just a roll. Not just a Wilhelm. What are these Kaiser patches? So. Uh, this is basically to remove that side channel buffer. Where oh, right, right, right. We talked about that. They're just disabling the behavior. Yeah. So and people are complaining about them because they slow down their stuff? 
Yeah, so Kaiser is the one that definitely slows things down. Uh, K-A-S-L has been a thing for the longest time, and that's perfectly fine. That's just like, oh, the address spaces are in like random spots, but it, it's no performance hit at all. Well, that's what uh, Windows was doing with user memory for since Vista. Yeah. I guess so they just it, hadn't it, been doing it with kernel memory? The, the, well, so this, is, this has been a thing. Uh, K-A-S-L is not new at all. No, it's not. Address-based layout randomization has yeah. been around for a long time. Yeah, that, that's been around. And uh, so the, the big patches for the KPTI, which actually fixes Meltdown and uh, Kaiser uh, fixes... How are they uh, isolated? Spectre. Because the, the kernel memory was already supposed to be isolated. So saying kernel so, page table isolation, what is that actually... This think? is actually saying now there's a hard... Uh, if you're in kernel mode, you, like there was a case like... Uh, actually, I am... I really gotta find this out now and then I think about it. I don't... No, that should be fine. Never mind. Uh, but, like, um... So the idea is that, like, you actually have to copy over the bytes. Like, take, take the idea of, like, reading a file. That went from being, like, oh, you load the file up on the disk that gets loaded into the, uh, 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 the buffer in the kernel. That gets put through to the page cache, and the page cache then tells the read, like, your, your read uh, syscall that, hey, data is ready. And then you're in user space, you get the I.O. stream to uh, read from. And uh, so the difference now, though, is instead of being like, oh, hey, it's in the page cache, it's got it uh, from the kernel buffer, it's got to, okay, so take that kernel buffer and just copy all the bytes over instead of just making it part of the page, page cache. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, and that copy would probably uh, decrease the performance. That's the issue. And that's why everyone has seen a massive spike in CPUs this week. I'm looking at a chart that shows CPU usage from Epic Games. You can tell exactly when they flipped it on. It is a straight line up from 20 to 45, 20, ah, 15 to 45 percent, which also is about 30 percent difference. Wow. So there is one bright side to this, and I wouldn't say it's like actually really a bright side to this, as much as it's like, hey, these people aren't affected. If you're on a server, or, or as long as you're running, sorry, as long as you're running trusted softwares and you're not going to a website, basically. Oh, just don't use the internet, okay. Well, you can use the internet, but like like a server works in this way, where it's like, hey, you're just using software that either you wrote or are from libraries that you trust, and then uh, the other caveat to that is then you're also running on a physical piece of hardware, because then you have the issue of this really affects the cloud in a huge way. Absolutely. Because like, you're on virtualized machines there. Th- these virtualized machines are just other processes that can do these specter attacks to each other. Ooh. And... Uh, Thankfully, uh, like, uh, actually very quickly, both, like, the two most popular, uh, like, ways of doing virtualization in the cloud uh, posted uh, some, like, here, hey, here's how we are affected by this. Uh, first one, uh, QEMU, is, like, the user space interface for KVM, which is the kernel virtual machine. Uh, right, and that's heavily used with uh, Android Studio. Yes, this is true. It's also uh, what, if you're on, like, uh, Google Cloud, DigitalOcean... Uh, host virtual, any of those guys, you're on, you're on uh, Q- QEMU. Makes sense. Uh, so, uh, trying to believe, uh, there is, uh, trying to remember, uh, there's one that is actually affected and one that isn't in QEMU. Uh, I believe uh, it's that Meltdown does not actually affect uh, how QEMU works. So that's I think it's QEMU. I think that's probably Q- how it's. QEMU. Uh, you, you can pronounce it however. But, uh, Isn't that how so, it's supposed to be? Because it rhymes. Was this? Isn't that how it's supposed to be pronounced? Because it rhymes. Q emu. Sure. sure. Okay. Uh, but 
so Meltdown doesn't affect it, but Spectre, on the other hand, uh, there are uh, uh, part of it's the kernel patches. There are things uh, within QMU uh, as well that they're patching it, but you are taking the performance hit on that for protecting Inspector. But Meltdown mm. was not an issue. On Zen, on the other hand, both were an issue. Zen is just another platform. So Zen, yeah, it's an, it, this one you can install it yourself. You can run it as just a hypervisor on bare metal, as in like you don't have Linux running as a host OS. It's just okay. Zen, or you can run it as a program on like Linux or BSD. And so uh, AWS uses this, which is probably the largest uh, cloud provider. So most websites that aren't like, oh, hey, we need – like most most companies that have like some kind of uh, technical presence are on this who don't need bare metal performance. And so they're dealing with both Meltdown and Spectre's issues. And as of uh, this past Friday, AWS pushed the uh, patches for Zen out to all their host machines. Okay. And so now you are living with a 30% slower AWS. <laughs> well, that sucks for the users that download our podcast, but uh, and most of the people that use AWS, which is most of the internet. Yep. Yeah. Fun sucks stuff. Sucks for everyone. Fun stuff for everyone. Okay. Uh... In the wake of this, there have been some class action lawsuits filed in California, Indiana, and Oregon. Oregon! Uh, They cite not just the security vulnerabilities and their potential impact, but also Intel's bad response to them. Um, I mean, I think that's the real issue. Intel really did not respond positively. You know what I think? I think that these might have been NSA tools. Because of Intel's lust for undocumented well, instruction code or opcodes, uh, combined with this type of thing, I feel like if you wanted to figure out how to get into someone's computer and read privileged information, this would be a great way to do it. And it's so, not documented. And the company who's majorly responsible for it isn't saying, the, isn't apologizing. The issue for that, the issue for that being possible, is the fact that you have to have software running on the machine itself to have that issue. Okay. Uh, so this works... In, so you mean like an NSA rootkit? That would work in AWS. You don't know who your neighbors are, though. So you'd be like, oh, random neighbors. Well, remember, Jeff Bezos does have an intelligence cloud with the CIA. Yes. Uh, like, th- so that's one thing. Like, th- my, my thought is, like, the at least a step in the right direction that Intel could have done, though, is be like, hey, all of those enterprise customers who have thousands upon thousands of our chips, we'll do a recall for you guys and replace those... Uh, the more end usery people, sorry, like that. Even that is a step in the right direction. Right, but they know that because they have ninety percent of the CPU market, nothing can really happen to them. Yeah, well, this is basically the technical version of the BP oil spill. <laughs> We're yeah. We're sorry. Yeah. Sorry. We're sorry. But they haven't even said they're sorry. They're just they're just saying, oh, it was by design. Yep. Intel makes mistakes from time to time, you know, we knew. Um, one of the more interesting things that I've seen from this exploit is that Spectre uh, can be used on Kubernetes. Oh, yeah. well, so Someone made that, a proof of concept demonstrating how it can be used in Kubernetes. Rather. It's interesting, I'd say, but it kind of makes sense. It's just like uh, you're not even running in virtualization there, that you're just running in a container. So it's like you're running on one OS. Yeah, and he has so it, kubectl log Spectre, and it says the... Magic words are squeamish 
So the, way that, so the way the POC works is they have one process that's running with the magic words being just like loaded into memory. Mm -hmm. And then they have the attack program uh, run that actually finds the magic words and the other process is memory space. Ah. Gotcha. Even across kernel namespaces too, which means like normally you can isolate, hey, I want this process to not even know that there's other processes running on this machine. And you can find them through this. Gotcha. Well, that's pretty. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, let's oh, see. Well, uh, one other interesting thing, though, is the fact that you can do this attack from the browser. Uh, it's even scarier. I yeah. don't like that. So <laughs> somebody can just. Uh, I'll use uh, a line. I'll use a line from a previous episode, Christian. What ungodly coupling of things that they do <laughs> to allow you to use a JavaScript? I'm sure is what it is uh, yep. to exploit this. Yep. Well, it's like Rowhammer in that regard, too, because like JavaScript can also do Rowhammer to flip bits randomly on your computer. What NPM package do you use to control everyone else's entire computer? NPM install Spectre. <laughs> oh. what, what, Tyler, wait, because there's a, another story uh, separate from this that uh, I don't know if we're going to get to, but basically because of NPM, bad things happen. Aww. Do I have to well, use Yarn? Uh, well, no, just be more responsible with your NPM. NPM only controls a large underpinning of the internet that was created by millennials. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's so much truth to that. You're telling me NPM's a privilege and not a right? Yeah. <laughs> Tyler, back in my day, we didn't have NPM. We wrote everything in PHP. That's not true. Take <laughs> um, your privilege, bro. Pseudo. <laughs> exactly. Pseudo that. Exactly. Um, let's see. So I uh, I thought I had this up, but I guess not. Uh, how does how does Spectre on JavaScript work? So this website is also down at the moment. Um. There's I see. There's a React etc. dot net that has an exploiting exploiting speculative ex execution uh, with JavaScript. So it works in the same way because all JavaScript really is is uh, code that your browser executes on your machine. Right. So uh, it's JavaScript manipulating the browser to set these instruction sets to uh, end up doing these attacks. And it will be virtually impossible to patch all browsers because of how this attack works and how browsers can be so dynamic and how they execute. Well, interestingly, they did patch Meltdown in almost every browser. And the oh. way they did that... So not so much Spectre, though, but Meltdown. Okay. The way they did I that... That's is, what it is. I typed in... No... Oh, the guy that wrote this article didn't make that difference, or differentiation, rather. Oh, Interesting. My, the front-end lead that I work with uh, mentioned this, that uh, they basically uh, disabled the shared array buffer in every browser to disable uh, Meltdown. Is that also, does that also mean that you can... That's going to mess some stuff up. There's a lot of stuff that uses the shared array buffer. What about um, local storage? That's not the same, but it's similar. Is that... No, local storage doesn't have anything in memory or execute anything. It's just doesn't have anything in memory. Oh, it's a disk. Yeah. Okay. But uh, with uh, the shared array buffer, I've never really, aside from the fact that that was like a primitive that when uh, uh, what was it Safari was actually trying to get threads into JavaScript, mm -hmm. they were using that as like a hey, here's a uh, buffer that can be passed around threads without issue. Yeah, let's just make some globally addressable memory that can go any that can exist anywhere. That's not a problem. Yeah. Um, so, Christian, let's get back to uh, just uh, back to how JavaScript can can use these exploits. Um, uh -huh. So, obviously, it, it can't be just JavaScript writing plain old JavaScript, right? I can't just console log, or, you know, use use Spectre and then console log, hey world, to you know someone's 
you know, it does. Spectre so from it, Spectre. Spectre. So do I assembly? What do I? What am I feeding it here? No, but I'm sure WebAssembly makes this even easier. <laughs> oh, I meant but, a computer assembly, but yeah. Uh, How is WebAssembly some kernel level C stuff? So uh, WebAssembly runs in its own VM, and it's like a. Uh, it, it's a lot like how the JVM works, where it's just like this instru- uh, instruction set that's on a stack, and it just pops an instruction by instruction. Ah, uh, and then it creates like an agnostic bytecode that executes. Yeah, so it's essentially another VM in your browser. Uh, but uh, so with like that, uh, or JavaScript can do this. Where uh, through understanding that VM, like uh, V8 is technically a VM for JavaScript and Chrome, and through understanding that, you can manipulate V8 to add these instruction sets to your, to your actual CPU that does the Spectre attack. Ah, yeah. And these instructions are, like I said, they're what they're they're in in kernel level C. They're in assembly. They're in well, so the, you write JavaScript, and then that just tells your browser to create this uh, uh, assembly. That uh, well, technically it's a bit bit code, but there are instructions that are uh, uh, executed on the CPU. Like every, everything has to boil down to ones and zeros at some point, and so that's what this is doing. Nice. Nice. Here's a nice uh, FAQ about JavaScript Inspector. Is JavaScript vulnerable in my browser? Yes. Is the threat real or mostly theoretical? It's real. Can the browser vendor <laughs> create <laughs> fixes? Yes. If my, if my operating system has been patched, will this solve the issue for JavaScript 2? Yes. Is Node.js running on the server vulnerable to this issue? Yes. Is, the cl- is there an update available to operating system or browser already updated to patch the Meltdown Inspector vulnerabilities? An easy way to track vulnerabilities... Wow, not yes or no. An easy way to track vulnerabilities is, uh, centrally is a GitHub page that tracks the status of updates for browsers like Chrome, Firefox, etc., uh, are popular, popular operating systems like Android, Windows, Mac OS, and iOS. And you can find the, that page here at github.com slash hanob, H-A-N-N-O-B. You'll just, we'll get, we'll search it up. Search, search it up. Search it up! Meltdown yeah. Spectre Patches GitHub. Type that in. Uh, anyway. And they, they talk about the summary of the patch status. Uh, anyway, let's take a look at that. Uh, Android, fixed with uh, Android Security Bulletin. Um, Windows, Microsoft Advisory. Uh, Windows Server Guidance and Client Guidance. Note, both links include PowerShell tool to query the stages status of Windows migrations for the branch target injection or rogue data cache load. Uh, interesting. Uh, Apple has already released mitigations in iOS 11.2, macOS 10.13.2, and tvOS 11.2, but that means that my macOS 10.12 has not been patched. Neither is mine, but I'm ready to throw out my MacBook. <laughs> How old is it? Uh, it's a 2013 model, and ah, it's running uh, El Capitan. Uh, mine's running Sierra. I this computer. I don't Christian. What would you get? Oh, you not you wouldn't get a Macintosh. No, I would. Uh, so I'd either get like, what I have. For, get an ARM laptop. They they do exist. They're interesting, but uh, I do really like my work laptop. It's a Lenovo X1 Carbon, which is an Intel machine. And and ships with spyware because it's a Lenovo. No, because I just remove all of it when I install Linux. I thought it was a rootkit. No. Okay. But. Uh, the other option I was looking at that I really like is the Razer, um, the Razer Blades uh, Stealth. It's like a 13-inch. Uh, uh, technically, it's a gaming laptop, but I'll just put Linux on it so I can use it for like uh, coding and weekend projects and recording the show. And solitaire. And solitaire. Minesweeper. <laughs> uh, by the way, CentOS Seven 
has been patched with the kernel microcode CTL Linux firmware QEMU KVM and libvrvert. Uh, That's very good. It looks like they've cleaned up everything. Do yeah, we need uh, to uh, so update our wait. CentOS 7 servers, Christian? Uh, I think we could just do a VM upgrade and we'll be fine on those. And, uh, well, yes, What about the... I, I mean, uh, really, if uh, DigitalOcean uh, fixes their uh, host OS, then we're... We're set. <laughs> are our servers virtualized? Yes. Yes, they are. So, and a virtualized CPU isn't vulnerable to this? Well, so like I said, with the server, assuming that whatever the the bottom layer is, the physical layer is safe, then you're good. So, like, uh, if your host, if DigitalOcean's host OS is uh, uh, fixed, and then we only run trusted software that we trust, then there's no issue here. Uh. If uh, we were running some totally black box that we have uh, for, some, for whatever reason, then there'd be some worries. No coin hive? Nope. Damn. Oh, well. Well, I think we might have talked this out. Uh, yeah. Let's see. The Intel C- CEO sold shares right before this happened. He's saying it was a planned sale, but he planned it back in October, late October, so I well, don't know. They knew about this vulnerability back in June. Well, and he saw, and he planned to sell his shares in October. <laughs> Something I think doesn't add up. He's going to get a call from the SEC. So, uh, 245,743 shares of stock he owned outright and 644,135 shares he got from exercising his options were divested under just a trading plan sold in November. Maybe he'll get lucky and the White House will investigate him and then nothing will happen. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that level. If well, you if any, if, you know what? Given right the, how these investigations are going, he'll end up having work for the Clinton Foundation. So, anyway, <laughs> uh, let's move on. I think we've got. Well, we wanted to make this episode about exploits, but I don't think we've got time for all these other think, exploits. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to leave these as a two part as two parter. So I think we'll look forward to it. Join us next week. That's right. Join us next week. One public Well, the thing is. Could these um, exploits kill you? Find out next week. <laughs> How many people died? Did you die from Donald Trump's tax plan or these exploits? No. Um, these simple household items could be ready <laughs> to kill you. More out of left. That's, you know, that's my sister's job. She's on the news, and that's that's what she gets to do. Um, <laughs> a, Is there a, a cat revolution coming this week? <laughs> a, kill, a secret killer might be hiding in your kitchen sink. More at 11. Something may kill you if you touch it. More at 11. (laughs) Something may kill you if you're in the same room as it was six hours ago. More at 11. Is the air poisonous? We'll find out at 11. (laughs) Don't breathe. Don't hold your breath. (laughs) Oh, man, guys, we should have have been news. We should have been in the news. That's a, no, like uh, listen, in the 21st century, this is where we need to be. I don't think the news is something. We don't have television. Why would we be on the news? Because then we can yell a news team assemble. Ah, that's good. Uh, Unfortunately, my (laughs) sister gets... You know the hate mail that we got? She gets actually much worse hate mail. (laughs) Eric doesn't want to play because he knows we'll make him be brick. (laughs) (laughs) I like Lamb. I love Lamb. Uh, No, the thing is... is, is Tyler's like a champ. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you're like uh, Paul Rudd. Thank you. That's what you're hoping on is Paul Rudd. Yeah. Anyway, uh, no, this, the hate mail that my sister gets is something like, uh, honey, don't think that those glasses will make your nose look any smaller. You're not fooling anybody. 
Can we have a segment on that? Eric's on sister's, my sister's hate, hate mail. mail? No, news. I don't think she's gonna like it anyway. So if you want that, you're gonna have to go out to California. Well, you're from California, Tyler, so it'll work for you. She's uh, about an hour north of Santa Barbara. Oh, I thought she was in the Midwest. That'd have been way funnier. No, no, no. She made it out to the land of palm trees and sunshine. She's been out in California for over a year, just over a year, actually. Does she have old hate mail from the Midwest? <laughs> no, they don't have computers. <laughs> and by the way, when she was in Nebraska, yeah, they have computers, her, just not internet. Her, t- her TV. Oh, right, they have, they have, uh, they have really fast soon, broadband internet. Exactly. <laughs> broadband's coming soon. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay, well, uh, our last story of the evening is uh, Britain bans phones for your bum. That's right. In prisons... uh, Well, actually... Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, I know about this. Here's a petition for online retailers. They should ban the sale of miniature mobile phones that were designed to be smuggled into prisons. They're like super small, like like almost the size of a lighter, a little bigger than that. Speaking of Mugatu, it was the size size of his cell phone. Are you sure this is for being smuggled into prison and not just whatever Eric's into on a Friday night? <laughs> yes, because it says literally from the BBC, <laughs> it says literally designed to be smuggled into prisons. Uh, mm. They are marketed as being virtually metal-free and therefore able to beat the detectors anyone entering a prison must it's pass true. through. If you look on eBay, like they'll have a list of all the different like prison detectors that it'll pass, and then you look at those prison detectors, and it's like, holy crap, it's a giant contraption the size of a refrigerator that's de- designed to detect like everything for a prison inmate that I didn't know existed. Just shove it up your butt and hold your breath, and you'll be fine. Uh, Beat the Boss, B-O-S-S, phones can be bought for 25 quid, but are reportedly <laughs> changing hands for up to 500 inside jails. 500 yeah, quid for a Yeah, the Boss is a machine phone. that tests all metal on, on you and stuff. Oh, the Boss is the, the machine. Gotcha. So this yeah. is Beat the Boss. I thought they were talking about uh, Bruce Springsteen. No. <laughs> no, Bruce is not at all that the prisons checking That was the time that they yelled at him for doing a show after 11 at night on a weekday. <laughs> I think that happened, actually. Uh, you Bruce remember that, Tyler? Si- <laughs> no. Noise complaint? I'm pretty sure this was uh, Bruce Spring from 2012. Noise uh, night. The noise police showed Springsteen who really is the boss. Superstars performance with Sir Paul McCartney cut after they break the curfew from 2012. Those those people should just be jailed. Whoever doesn't that that's such a combination. Turn off the music, you kids. They're 70 years old. Who's telling you to turn it off? Who's telling Paul McCartney and Bruce Springsteen to turn it off? They're the old people. Yeah, Paul McCartney's a knight. You can't do that. Exactly. Yeah, and he's a knight. Hey, Ringo's a knight now. He gets to play eight days. Oh, do they just let anybody be a knight then? Yeah, they're running out of famous people that everyone can get behind. (laughs) I know they shut down stadiums at like midnight though. The Springsteen show I saw last said to be shut off at midnight, which is damn impressive because the show started at eight. Well, you know, the thing about Bruce really being for the working man and then playing a three-hour show on a Tuesday night when he doesn't have to get up early the next day. <laughs> <laughs> that is ironic. So, yeah. Uh, any, <laughs> anyway. Uh, we love, have real we jobs, Bruce. Bruce. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you say you're for the factory workers, but I got to get to work at 6 a.m. Come on. <laughs> you said your dad uh, worked for the factory. You know what time that shit starts. <laughs> third shift. Gotta go. Uh, anyway, it's pretty clear third that these shift. miniature phones are being advertised and sold with the purpose of being smuggled. Mr. Lit- Lightington said, uh, will say in a speech on Monday, who is Lightington? Lightington 
is David Lightington said. I don't know who he is. Oh, he's a is a is he a I don't know. Is he a he friend is. of the He was just some guy standing outside of prison. Yeah, I guess he was just maybe he smuggled a phone up his bum. He is a British Conservative pol- Party politician who has been the member of Parliament for Aylesbury since 1992, and the Secretary of State for or Secretary of State for Justice and Lord Chancellor since June 2017. I don't care. Speaking uh, anyway. of, uh, but on the subject of inmates and trying to you know use phones and stuff, I did I did have the realization the other day that you know one phone call is probably being outdated a little bit. How about like one phone call like 30 minutes online, maybe even 15. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, let me hit up Facebook and like message all my friends because I don't have phone numbers. Like I don't that know their anymore. phone number. That's a great point. If I if you if I got arrested and they're like and they take my phone away, hey, you got your one phone call. I call my mom. I need one minute on number? Facebook Messenger. <laughs> yeah, I've got like I literally my the house phone number that I grew up with is the only one I have in my mind. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, mobile phones, which are banned in prisons, can be used to facilitate more crime and intimidate victims from behind bars, the Ministry of Justice says. It has invested two billion pounds in detection equipment, including portable detection devices, which can be used to find these mobile phones. They've also acquired new powers to block specific phones from accessing communication networks, probably just a jammer. <clears throat> Many phones are listed for sale on websites, including Amazon. And eBay has said that they're going to stop selling them. I mean, is it really that hard to blacklist everything <laughs> on on a network? I mean, the, well, the thing so, is, is that you want. I, mean, I don't know where the tower easy. is, and they and they need legitimate cell traffic, and I'm sure that that gets in the way of this illegitimate cell traffic. eBay, yeah, has yes, they they just got to patch uh, Spectre at the same time. So oh, there you, you know. go. Yeah. Now, you know, does this mobile phone use Intel now? Uh, <laughs> yeah, get, get that or, phone or probably does actually arm, is not wait, does it use ARMv7? Because then it also has this issue. Uh, wait, ARMv7? What's in my iPhone? Uh, iPhones have something other than ARM. I, I don't remember. There's an ar- there's ARM in there. Maybe there's another arm and a head and a legs and a torso. Anyway, all right. I think we. I think that's the end of this episode. So Christian, and a lot of child labor hours. <laughs> Christian, do you approve? Child labor force five. There you go. Do you approve of this week's pull request? Looks good to me. Do you think we were more authoritative, more academic, a source of information that you could trust? I would say so. We got a little punchy towards the end there, but yeah. No, you got to keep. It's almost a two-hour show. You got to keep the momentum going. Yeah, this is true. Wonderful. Do you think you could put the show on your blog? <laughs> when I update it, I will. Good. Wonderful. Tyler, do you approve of this week's poll request? Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Well, how about you, our studio audience? That's fantastic, even though they were mostly silent in this episode. Well, then let's all hit merge. And we'll see you next week. Right here on Poll Request. This has been the Pneumonium Production. The views and opinions expressed on Pull Request do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium, LLC, or its subsidiaries. This week's theme music provided by Volpec. Visit them at VULFPECK.com.